As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder, presented by Miami Fingerlickin, the chicken restaurant that Paul Tenorio and I once went after a Jurgen Klinsmann USMNT camp in 2016, owned by DJ Khaled himself. Paul, what's going on, dude? We've got another one of these podcasts on deck. How are you doing tonight? I was good until you brought up the trauma of Miami Fingerlickin. Another one. Do you remember that we ordered, we wanted to just have water with our chicken and we had to get boxed well, water? You, yeah, I got a, I got a Coca-Cola, but yeah, you and Franco Panizo, another uh, reporter who was also there with us, you guys got boxed water. It was, I think, tinted windows in the middle of the day. Yeah, it was like a weird, like, like very obviously like a former checkers or something that was like made to look like a nightclub, but the wings were pretty good. So, you know. Shout out to DJ Khaled. <laughs> anyway, um, I digress. One of my verbal clutches. Crutches, not a clutch. I digress. Anyway, um, we are back. There's another week of MLS news to sort through, to sift through. Uh, we're going to start with a little bit, teensy bit. We talked for 40 minutes about the CBA last week, so we're not going to do that much tonight, but there there is a little bit of news that's worth mentioning. Uh, going to talk a little bit about the MLS Super Draft, which occurred earlier today as we sit here recording on Thursday night. Um, going to talk about Jordan Morris headed to Swansea, it looks like, and a few other things as well. Um, so we'll start with that update to the CBA. The big update is that there really isn't an update. The MLSPA has still not responded to the league's offer, which was made two weeks ago. Um, they're still going through their process. They say they're going as fast as they can. Um, and the league is saying that there's a deadline, a hard deadline for ending negotiations on January 28th, one week from right now. Um, if that deadline passes, the league can unilaterally tear up the CBA. If they decide to terminate the CBA, that doesn't necessarily automatically mean work stoppage, but, you know, in practice, it essentially does. Um, the players would continue on under the new CBA un until 
or under the old CBA until the league decided, all right, we're going to lock you out. Uh, I don't think the players are going to strike in this situation. I think they'll make the league lock them out if it comes to that. So that's where we are. Um, Don Garber, MLS commissioner, this morning on Thursday morning ahead of the draft released an open letter to fans. Um, Part of it was like niceties, platitudes, few thank yous, et cetera, et cetera. Excited for the season, yada, yada, yada. But the meat of the thing was just laying out the league's view and the league's slant on these CBA negotiations, which, you know, it wasn't anything we didn't know before, uh, but it was interesting to see Garber get out there and speak on it again, even in a, a very controlled, regulated form that is an open letter. So, Paul, any uh, any thoughts on what we saw in that letter and where things are headed with this CBA? Yeah, I mean, I think my big thing is I, I don't understand what the league thinks it's accomplishing. By having Don Garber present the league's side, its perspective, as though it is some infallible, perfectly reasonable and charitable even offer from the owners to the players. I think that it is in a way talking down to a fan base that's smart and educated that hopefully some of which listens to this podcast and and gets listen to this man pander, listen to it. (laughs) Let's call it what it is, you know, And I I just think that it is disrupting or making more difficult what was already going to be a difficult negotiation. And basically, I think it comes down to one thing. It feels like they are more focused on winning the negotiation or the battle with with PR and with the fans than they are on actually accomplishing what they want to accomplish in the negotiation. And that is going to be a mistake. And and Sam, I don't disagree. I think that I, I think I said this last show, my gut is that this is headed toward a lockout and they would like to cast this as if it does lead to a work stoppage, it's going to be on the players and it's not, yeah. it's not going to be on the players. Yeah. I'm writing about this right now. Um, and hopefully that piece will be out. Well, maybe tomorrow, maybe Monday, we'll see. But um, I'm writing at length about this, and it's just basically like, what is the league doing? Well, you mentioned it. They're putting their spin on things, right? There's a bit of a vacuum in terms of the narrative, uh, and they're stepping into it. And they're saying, listen, like, the COVID-19 pandemic hit us really hard financially in 2020. It's going to hit us hard financially again in 2021. We've made this fair offer to the players to to help get the league through what will be a difficult period. And the players haven't even responded and we have this deadline and they still haven't even responded and the clock's ticking. And if we have to lock them out, you know, we did all that we could. It's not our fault, right? Like that's what they're saying right now with, with this messaging. And like you just said, like that's not the whole story, like at all, right? And we talked about the whole story on the last show, so we don't need to rehash all of that. Um, but, you know, what I can say to kind of further this discussion is, is this strategy, this public Kind of the public kind of nature and, and the fact that Garber has now come out here twice in the last nine, ten days and tried to tried to spin, right? He's spinning. That's what he's doing. Um, it's pissing the players off, like a lot. And it's not productive. And 
I'm sort of getting to the point where if the league actually sticks to this January 28th deadline, I don't see how they don't, how it doesn't end in a lockout, right? Now, maybe they back off, right? But we're headed to a point where the players will respond whenever it is they respond. Like, at this point, who knows when that'll be. I think they'll have a response before January 28th. Um, But they'll respond, and then the league will counter, most likely. And we're just running out of time to have a deal agreed upon by this time next week. And so the league will have, will be in a position to either terminate the CBA, stop negotiations, terminate the CBA and lock the players out maybe, or they walk back Garber's pretty firm stance that January 28th is a hard deadline. That's a direct quote, hard deadline. So they have, they'll have to do one of those two things, I think. And I don't know. I mean, they've walked back deadlines before, so maybe they'll do it again, but I don't know. I mean, I'm going to make a prediction here, Sam. I think you'll back me on this prediction. There is a 0% chance. Maybe I shouldn't say zero. <laughs> 0.1% chance. Zero, zero, 001. That there's an agreement by this deadline. By January 20th. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the, the, the question is then, is it actually a deadline? Right. And does the league back off? We know that um, we know it's not a deadline. We know that it's not a deadline. There well, is, I mean, there is no, it's not a, le- it's not a legal deadline, but if the league, not a deadline. I mean, but if the league says it's a deadline and sticks to it, then it is a deadline. Listen, Sam, you and I both know what happens with self-imposed deadlines. Okay. Our editors know what happens with self-imposed deadlines. Speak for yourself. I was going to file my Kyle Laren story this afternoon. I haven't filed that story yet. You know, it'll be out by the time people are listening to this podcast. Probably, I mean, you but. know what? Like one of us is a professional. Okay. And I hit my deadlines. Thank you very much. Okay. Except for that Chivas USA story. You've been living long enough in New York that you look like a New York Red Bull right now, and you're talking to me about who's a professional. Listen, Alex Mule plays for Nashville, okay? For the record. <laughs> you do have Alex <laughs> Mule hair. That's true. And Tim Parker plays for Houston. So that's two of your Red Bros gone. Yeah, well, you know, we're just taking over the, the country now. We're, we're spreading out. We're reaching our tentacles across the nation. You can't stop us. <laughs> um but anyway, that's basically the latest with the CBA. That's pretty much the update. Um, again, if you if you missed last week's show and you're curious kind of about all of the context and, and a more in-depth rundown of our feelings on the subject, please go ahead and listen to it. Um, there's 40 minutes of CBA talk in there. Um, we don't want to bore those of you who have already been through that show uh, with another round when there haven't been too many new developments. But we'll see where it goes. Like I said, the players aren't thrilled with this media strategy by the league, so... A tense situation is only growing tenser. So we'll see. We shall see. In other news, the Super Draft was today. 2021 Super Draft, second year in a row of it being virtual. This year, you know, would have been virtual even if it wasn't virtual before because of COVID. But um, I don't know, Paul. Like, I just can't get myself excited about this event anymore. Um, It's not as important to certain teams. Certain teams still take it seriously and it's not to say you can't find good value or good players in the draft. There are, you know, there are two guys with U.S. national team, Henry Kessler, Daryl DK, and one with the Canadian national team, Alistair Johnston, who were drafted last year. Um, so it's not like you can't get anyone good, but it's the emphasis is decreasing and decreasing. So any kind of high-level takeaways from today? No, not really. I think I think um, this draft. I, I guess I would say that this draft should be treated uh, even diff- more differently than 
kind of the normal trend we've seen of the draft being de-emphasized. And it's not being de-emphasized because of the idea that there isn't talent in college. But the focus of these MLS teams is to develop talent now within their academies. And when you're developing talent in your academies, you're drafting kids or you're, you're signing kids who are usually 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, even 18, 19 at the older end. You know, you're drafting kids in the super draft. They're 22 years old. So you, you're hopefully drafting regular pros. Occasionally, you can find a younger player. That's why, right? It's not to say that there aren't talented older players in the draft. Chase Gasper was a year older than his class, played four years, maybe even five years of college soccer. And he's in the national team pool as well yeah. for, for Minnesota United. Ga- but, Gase Chasper. Yeah, but you've got to, <laughs> you know, you've got to kind of put the draft in its place, right? In its pecking order. And, and it's fallen down that pecking order. This year was even harder because they didn't have a fall season to watch on these players, college season. So they were scouting based on phone conversations with coaches, based on tape that was a year old. Um, that makes things a lot more difficult. Uh, so I'll be interested to see. Um, but I, I always root for guys to, to become surprises, right? You, it's a good story when Hassani Dodson becomes a, an MLS regular and a U.S. under 23 national team player. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's cool Chris to see Mueller. Chris Mueller become, I, I really enjoyed what I did a lot of Big Ten Network games, Chris Mueller's final season at Wisconsin. I went and drove to the Big Ten tournament, wasn't even broadcasting it just to watch. And I, I was like, man, this kid Paul Chris, is a college soccer was junkie. Bad. It was really bad. I was in a bad <laughs> place. I, I might have been helping, not helping, helping myself to meeting some people who were there scouting and it was within driving distance. So, um, <laughs> Anyways, whatever you got to do, whatever you Julian do. Gressel, another one, you know? Yeah, um, it's cool. It, the, it's cool to see Daryl DK, man. Like I, I yeah. was at the combine last year and I remember people saying they're not sure. Is Daryl DK going to be able to translate to the professional level? He didn't take enough advantage of his physicality in college. He didn't score enough goals that you think he'd score. And look, he developed incredibly well under Oscar Pereja. He's definitely in the national team picture. You know, that's a cool story. I'm not saying that we shouldn't appreciate the draft for these stories that come out, but we should expect fewer of them than we did back in, say, 2015 when I was covering Orlando City and Kyle Laren came out as the number one pick. And you know, the same draft that Matt Polster came out of and Tim Parker came out of and Kyrie Shelton came out of. There were more names that you were expecting to become starters in that think draft. Christian, I think Christian Roldan was 2015. Yeah, Christian Roldan yeah. came out of that draft. Yeah, so, so there's still value for teams. It's just kind of, you know, there's a diversification of models now in MLS, right? And you see like Philadelphia trading away all their draft picks again. This is like yearly tradition for them now, right? Well, why do they do that? Well, they have a pretty stocked academy that they're really high on and they sign a bunch of homegrowns to 16 year or 16 year old homegrowns uh, to pro deals and they don't want to take up roster spots with college players. Um, because they have those guys as their developmental and players. they don't want any of those players to get in the way of playing time. If a, yeah, if a starter yeah. goes down and you're going to give somebody a start or a 20-minute you know, cameo or a chance to play, you want those coaches to have two options, an 18-year-old homegrown and a 16-year-old homegrown, not yeah. a 22-year-old draft pick. And that's it's smart. It's it's it you you say this is what we care about. These are the players we're we've invested in. But on the other side, right? You have teams with worse academies or less mature academies like Nashville, right? 
they're just starting their academy. It's not at the point where it can churn out a ton of homegrown signings, right? There's so a reason Minnesota cares, right? Yeah, so they, so they've acquired draft picks. Nashville traded for a bunch of draft picks, right? And, and like that makes sense as a way for them. So I think it's good. It, it encourages diversification of models, which I think makes MLS a more interesting league. It makes it more interesting for us to talk about, for sure. And, you know, if Nashville SC wants to be Moneyball SC through the draft, then have at it. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I think that's where it is. It's weird that because it still gets all this attention, right? Like, the league has emphasized the draft, like, in, in marketing and PR and all that stuff forever. And, like, I get it. Um, but, like, if you were put to put it on the pecking order of, like, roster building mechanisms, it's probably not that much more important than, like, the reentry draft, for instance. I would say it's less important than an expansion draft, Right. So, like, it's just kind of trying to put it in that perspective, make things a little more, I don't know, clear for people, hopefully. That's what we're trying to do on Allocation Disorder, Paul. That's what we're trying to do. Who's, who's pandering now? Um, I'm pandering to ourselves. I was yeah, complimenting that's, us. All right. I get what so, you're doing. So, do you know what pandering means? I know what pandering means. Are you sure? Are you going to lecture me or are we going to move on to the next segment? No, I'm going to like, listen, I'm not going to do the work for you. I'm not going to tell you what pandering means. You can look that up yourself, my man. <laughs> All right. I get that you were pandering. Well, I interpreted it as pandering to me, but I suppose you were probably pandering to yourself as much as you were to me. Yeah. I don't. Why would I pander to well, you? I just, I don't know because why not? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, enough with the pander banter. Let's talk about Jordan Morris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so news has emerged. Um, I think it was first reported by our colleague in the UK, right? Am I correct on that? Help me out here. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, that he is going to be on a short, going on a short-term loan to Swansea in the championship. Swansea is in the automatic promotion slots. Last time I checked anyway. Hopefully that's still accurate. We should um, say Stuart, Stuart James is the writer in the UK. Thank you. Thank you for the assist there. Sorry, Stuart. Um, and so he'll be going on loan there, uh, through the end of the season, trying to help them earn promotion. Sounds like there's going to be an option to buy baked into that. A pretty hefty one, from what it sounds like. We're still waiting to see what the exact figures are. Paul? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the reports about the hefty buy-on. And I just, I, look, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, just to break down the terms of a deal that we don't know completely. I, I can say that, you know, reporting and working along with Stuart James on this story, um, we have been able to figure out that, yes, um, Swansea will be picking up Jordan Morris's salary during his time in Wales, right? It's a free loan. They pick up 100% of the salary. So it should be saving Seattle about $650,000 for the time that he's there, maybe 600000 I guess we'd have to get into the semantics of exactly how exactly many weeks how much he ends up being there and when yeah, he actually yeah. arrives and all of that stuff. 
I think with the bonuses that he was able to accomplish last year that he'll make somewhere around $1.3 million for Seattle in 2021. Um, all that being said, you know, we talked to, I, I wrote a story about the valuation of Jordan Morris of somewhere between five and $7 million. There's, there are really, um, strategic reasons why Seattle wouldn't set a price to buy at that number. The biggest being if, if Swansea wants to buy Jordan Morris at the end of this loan, the chances are Jordan Morris performed very well in the championship. The chances are Swansea is going up to the Premier League. And so if that's the case, that means there are going to be other suitors for Jordan Morris. So if you're going to give one team the green light to sign him, then you're going to want that price to be high. You're going to want that price to be higher than what it was, than what it is right now at five to seven million. You so can you, always negotiate down off of an option price. Exactly. But you don't want them to just say, Oh, five to seven million. That's an easy decision. No problem. We trigger it and you miss out on a potential bidding war. Let's say you double that number. Let's say you're getting up to, you know, I don't want to say double it, but let's say you're up 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range of, you know, it becomes a decision for Swansea. Maybe they don't trigger it by the deadline. They still want to bring him in. Now it's a negotiation, and it's a negotiation that in- involves multiple teams, probably in England, and the price is, is is higher than what it would be right now. So whatever the buy option is, don't take it at face value. Understand that it's the beginning of it's a negotiation. A it's the beginning of a negotiation, not just with Swansea, certainly with Swansea, but also, hypothetically, with the other teams in England that would be interested in Jordan Morris should he get to a point that Swansea wants to trigger this option. Yeah, unless they trigger it outright, in in which case, then good for Jordan Morris because that means he killed it, right? And Seattle would be happy with whatever fee because that's what they negotiated and put into the deal. So uh, that would be a win for all parties. I do want to take a step back here, Paul. I mean, we're talking about the transfer nitty gritty here, but Jordan Morris was one of the best players in MLS last year. Best eleven, super productive on the left wing. Seattle made it to MLS Cup with him. Um, now they lose him on a free loan. Why? What's the point? Well, Sam, I think I think it comes down to one idea, and you have to tell me if you agree. I mean, there is doubt in the minds of the owners that this season is going to start on time, and there is a belief within MLS that this season could start as late as May. And if that's the case, there are going to be a lot of players who want to go find somewhere else to play who right. have big competitions to play in the summer. And there are going to be a lot of owners who are worried about cutting costs who are going to look to cut salary. And and again, this is this is setting aside the potential labor, the labor strife that's ongoing and a potential work stoppage. I'm just saying if there's COVID-related delays and they want yeah. to move money off of their books, this is an easy way to do it. Sam, do you think that that factored in? Do you think that this is a sign that Seattle, you know, is saying we could save some money here and only potentially lose Jordan Morris for a month? Or do you think this is more appeasing the hometown kid? I think it's both. You know, I don't think it's one or the other. I think there are a few factors at play with Jordan Morris. Um, one, Seattle never cares about the beginning of the regular season anyway, right? They, they don't start playing soccer until August as is. <laughs> so they're fine, right? It's not the end of the world for them. Um you know, and then, you know, you mentioned it. It's if he goes over there, they don't have to pay him. Swansea's covering his salary. Uh, and it is a good shop window, right? Like they could sell him now for five to seven million probably, but no more, right? If he goes over there and kills it, you could significantly raise that fee. And 
Jordan Morris, you know, being the hometown kid, Sounders Academy product, his dad has been the team doctor since they moved to MLS. Um, you know, he's the type of player that has equity with Adrian Hanauer and with the important people in that organization. And so he can go to Adrian Hanauer, the owner, and say, listen, Adrian, like, I love this club. I love this city. I turned down Warder Bremen out of college to come here. I've done everything that I can do in MLS. I've been on best 11. I've won multiple MLS cups. I want to take the next step in my career. I'm 26 years old. And in order to do that, I need to leave. And like, I've been a good servant. I've been nothing but good to you. Good to this. I've been a good ambassador, a good representative and a good player. Can you help me out? Right. And I think Adrian Hanauer probably would be receptive to an argument like that. Right. So I think that that's a play here too. And, you know, of course they have a obligation to the organization if you're Adrian Hanauer and Garth Lagerway. Right. And so you're not going to just like let them go for nothing. Um, but this seems to be a pretty good solution if he does end up leaving, um, where they'll be compensated handsomely and he would be landing in a good spot for his career and his growth. So I think it would be natural if it does end up happening, but we'll see if it, we'll see if a permanent deal does end up happening. And there is a risk here. We, we should acknowledge that, you know, there's a risk of injury, uh, which, you know, would be worst case scenario. And then there's the negative of if he goes and he doesn't perform well, then you've taken a five to $7 million sale and you've turned it into nothing. Right. But the worst case well, there is that he comes back to Seattle and he's a very good player for you. And, yeah, and that's, that's not so that's bad. That's not so yeah. bad. So the really the, the big risk there is if, it, you know, you knock on wood that, that Jordan Morris were to get hurt. But I think, you know, certainly I think there is a belief at Swansea. There's a belief from anyone who watched MLS this year and those who are familiar with the championship that Jordan Morris could go and do really, really well in a short period of time there and, and help his stock. I think that's certainly the expectation. Um, this shouldn't this shouldn't be a, a, a major step up in, in quality for him. I think our colleague Stuart James has written about this. It's not quite a perfect like formational tactical fit for him there. Um, they play a three five two. Morris has been at his best as a left winger, um, and when he can cut in on his right foot, three five two formation of course does not have wingers, um, but he's capable of playing you know as a forward as well and playing underneath and, and kind of going out to the flanks. So it's not to say he can't do it; it's just not like a completely natural transition. Yeah, and we should note also in that story he does talk about that one of the two forwards in that role kind of plays as a left right. winger coming into his right foot. Well, I don't want to say left winger, but in the left channel. So. Yeah, you know, you would hope that Morris would be able to find some comfort in that, but yeah, it's not like he's going into a, a four three three or three four three, and it's just you know like for like. Um, yeah. He's also probably not walking into the starting lineup right away on a team that's been performing pretty well, right? When he hasn't played in a few months, so if he's coming off the bench in a super sub type role, then maybe he is playing the wing. You know, who knows? So we'll see how it goes. Um, it's going to be interesting. He has left. He got permission to leave U.S. camp down in Florida presumably to go get this thing finished. Um, I can't believe we've made it this far in this discussion without noting this. Swansea is owned by the DC United owners, Stephen Kaplan and Jason Levian, um, and a few other folks as well. I think Landon Donovan was part of that group at one point in time. I don't know if he still is. Um, I think he still is. Yeah, there is anyway. a whole crew of, of American soccer figures that were involved in that deal. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. So two owners that are familiar with MLS and 
familiar with Seattle and Adrian Hanauer and could certainly like kind of grease the wheel there, make this deal a little bit easier um, to pull off. And there's also been reporting that Paul Ariola from DC United could be in line for a similar move to Swansea. Um, you know, he would fit in in three five two as as a wing back. Uh, so that would make sense for him. From his perspective, he's of course recently returned from an ACL injury himself. Um, Morris has one of those in his past too. Um, but I think Ariel only played a, a couple of games at the end of 2020 um, before coming back and then got some run with the national team as well. So we'll see if that happens. Paul, you and I, we were having a discussion about this the other day. You know, the window in Europe is closing here in 10 days or so. Um, do you think we could see any other MLS players make these types of moves? And if so, who do you think that could be? Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. You know, it's funny, Sam, before we get into some of these names, I think what's interesting is you and I talked on this podcast and on phone calls um, about the potential for MLS to take advantage of a soft market in this pandemic global soccer <laughs> world, right? Yeah, well, they got the CBA to nickel and dime on, so you and know, they instead, can't worry about that. They've, they've been more concerned about trying about force majeure and trying to save money in the CBA, and in doing so, they may have become a soft spot in the market in the sense that if there is a belief that there is going to be a delay of the season until May, which there is that belief, then, you know, there are going to be players who want to move on short term loans to places where they know that they can play. And there are going to be teams that are going to look at the possibility of cutting salary. are going to look at the possibility of putting players in the shop window and they're going to say, yeah. We're more open to sending you out on a short-term loan right now than we would typically be. And so when you go down that list, you start to say, okay, who is a player that would be attractive to a European team or a UK team? Would they be able to get a GBE, a UK work permit? and Or a work permit anywhere else. Right. Less concerning on the continent than it is in England, but yeah. And, and you know, do they have individual incentive to move as well? So guys with national team obligations and, is the, and big is there club incentive? All that being said, Sam, I'll start with a name that stood out to me and you right away as a, a prime, prime candidate for this type of move. And that's Albert Rusnak at RSL. Yeah. You look at it, Rusnak obviously has experience already, came from Manchester City's Academy. Academy. Played at Groningen in Holland for a couple of years. Yeah. Right. So I mean, he's been effective in Major League Soccer. He's trying to break in and, and be involved with his national team in the Euros. Not just break. I mean, he's st- he's a starter for Slovakia who he qualified won't be for the if Euros. He's not playing in March, April, yeah, and May. So he right? needs to he needs to get minutes if he wants to keep that starting role at the Euro tournament, which is scheduled for this summer. So he's a little bit of a known quantity in England. He's been there before. He went on loan to Oldham Athletic, who are in League One, and Birmingham City, who were in the Championship at the time that he was there. Played a handful of games for both. Nothing major. Uh, he would qualify for a work permit based on the new kind of post-Brexit point system um, that, you know, Paul dove in on and so helpfully calculated for us. We, we wrote a piece about this, spoiler alert. Uh, but yeah, Ruznak is a great candidate. Jan Gregush, Slovakian teammate. Um, I think an okay candidate. I think Minnesota probably would be a little less open than sending him than RSL would maybe. Tougher in but, general to predict like a, a box-to-box midfielder yeah. or defender and who would want them than it would be an attacking player, right? It's a little bit easier to say if you're a team, hey, we're going to bring in this attacking player who we think can help us in a short-term loan. Right, he can know. just come off the bench, play on the wing. Ruznak plays centrally for RSL, but he plays on the wing for Slovakia. Like, the way he can just you play think- on the wing 
Yeah. Yeah, It's the way we think about like the Landon Donovan loan to Everton, right? Like a perfect example of a player who came in, started coming off the bench, did well enough to start start some games for Everton, did his job for a few months, and then left. And Everton wanted to buy him. It didn't happen. He came back to MLS. But all the parties ended up happy with that short term. And it's not disruptive to the team in the way that, you know, replacing a central midfielder can be. Right. Um, That being said. Easier for attackers and not central players. We do have a center back on the list. Aaron Long, U.S. national team center back. Why? Well, there's been interest in Aaron Long from English teams. There was uh, real offers with West Ham going back and forth multiple times. Uh, offers to buy, offers to take on loan with an option to buy. It didn't happen. At the time, Red Bull said the replacement value for Aaron Long is too great to sell him for this low of a figure. It wasn't that low of a figure, which shows how much they valued Aaron Long. But Aaron Long is in a real battle for a starting job with the U.S. national team. They have World Cup qualifiers starting this fall. Red Bull has a new sporting director who's very familiar with the UK market, came over from from England. England. Wolverhampton. You know, he's a possible, I think he's a a possibility simply because teams know who he is. He's a known quantity. Didn't play as well last year as he had the previous year, but, you know, he could still be a target. Um, We won't give you every name, but those are a couple. Sam, do you have another name you want to throw out there? Well, I think with Long... It, it would be more likely to see that turn into, if it's a loan, it's probably a loan with the idea of buying, right? It's less likely that that would be a short-term move, in my opinion. We should say right? that this is also a really smart vehicle by which a team that has the intention to buy a player can make it happen, right? Where a team maybe... Take a test drive, yeah. Yeah, they're not agreeable to buying. You got to loosen them up a little bit. Hey, look, we'll take them on loan. We'll throw this hefty buy option on the back end. Let's see how it works out. And then, you know, you trigger the option. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think I think Long would be more likely as like a transfer. Uh, the Red Bulls did just trade Tim Parker. They also signed, um, why am I blanking on his first name? Reyes, who was in Miami uh, and then was not in Miami. Andres. Andres Reyes. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, they just signed him as a center back. So, they have some bodies, but they're down a starter for the last few years in Tim Parker, who was Aaron Long's partner there. So, they might be a little bit more hesitant to rid themselves of Long. I do think there's there will be interest there. I think there is interest there from championship, low, low, low-level Premier League clubs. Um, so, we'll see how it shakes out. The clock is ticking. Um, there's only like 10 days left. Now, a lockout would change that, right? If, if the, if the league decides to lock out the players, then all bets are off. They're allowed to go play outside of the country. Um, so they could do that. They could sign short term deals as free agents. Uh, and that would actually be a really interesting thing to see. Like, if it happens, how it plays out, who ends up going, if anyone ends up going, particularly among the domestic players. Cause I think you would see the foreign, the foreign players like sign in their home countries where they are known. Um, but for guys who are American or Canadian who have never played abroad, I think it would be a little bit more interesting. Um, so yeah, we won't give all the names. Um, you know, I think I'm trying to think if, if I want to give another one, a little teaser. Um, we'll hold off. Do you think any of, do you think this happens though, Paul? Do you think any of these loans do happen or do you think this is just kind of an exercise in messing around? I don't know. I mean, I think probably probably not, though I do think that like a name like Rusnak 
you know, it's probably somebody we're not we're not just pulling this out of thin air. I mean, these are these are ideas that a good agent will be thinking about. Right. So, you know, it's just a matter of whether or not that offer comes. And it doesn't have to be something that's been in the works a long time. Ariola kind of came out of the blue. Right. I mean, we can, you know, obviously I mean, they have the same ownership group. And I think <laughs> I think it was very who's much gonna like, cover hey, his wages. Who's going to cover his wages if he moves? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a lot easier to put those wages on Swansea's books probably than it is. On sure is. United's. Yeah. So, you know, I just think that, um, you know, I, I, all it takes is one team and one conversation between an agent and the team to make an offer like this happen. Um, do I think it actually happens in the next 10 days? No, I wouldn't put my money on it that way. Um, do I think it would be smart for a, a UK team to look at some of the guys we we put in this article? Yeah, I do. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I'm going to throw one at you. Brian Rodriguez. I just don't buy that LAFC would move him on loan. I just don't. It's He's too valuable. Can I can I make the case for? Let yeah, me like play, play devil's advocate here. So Brian Rodriguez is a super talented player, right? You talk to executives, you talk to scouts, you talk to coaches. Rossi is the one that produces but everyone's like Rodriguez that's the big talent. You know, that's the one that that the European clubs are going to really come for, right? He hasn't produced in MLS. The final product has not been there. It's been disappointing relative to his level of talent, relative to his price, level of expectation, all that stuff. He's great until he gets into the box, basically. Um I don't know, man. If I'm LAFC and I see that and this guy's kind of in a little bit of a rut confidence-wise it seems. Um he still starts for Uruguay in World Cup qualifying matches. Is it like 20-year-old? Um, but he's in a little bit of a rut, and I want to get some value. They were planning on selling one of these DPs earlier than this, right? You know, like That was part of their roster-building plan. They've pretty much made that public. Maybe if you're motivated to sell the guy, you throw him in that shop window, and you do a loan. You do a Jordan Morris-type deal. I know he's valuable and I know there's a risk that it carries, but there's also a risk in keeping him and him continuing to not produce and his value eventually going down. Yeah. I mean, I just think right now, if you wanted that to happen, you'd sell him right now. I don't think his value has dropped because of his international status. And so yeah, I think you're probably right. For that reason alone, it, there's no reason to put him in the shop window. Well, it, I mean, it, it could you hurt. Could goose. As, it you could, could hurt. You could goose. It could hurt, but it, it could help too. You could goose his value if he goes over and does well. Yeah, I don't think I'm willing to take that gamble. It hasn't been there at the club level. It hasn't connected. So you let him live off of the fact that he gets called into his national team and you sell. Um, it's not 
a situation where it's the hometown kid who's got a good relationship with the owner who's, you know, in a now or never moment like Jordan Morris is. And, you know, if it wasn't that, if it wasn't that for Jordan Morris, this wouldn't be happening for him either. I mean, the, the, I think realistically, yeah, it, wouldn't, right. it wouldn't be happening. The relationship helps there for sure, right? Um, I don't know. LAFC is an interesting team though, right? For They have a lot of guys that are intriguing prospects, right? You don't just talk about Rodriguez and Rossi. Palacios, Cifuentes, guys that are getting called the Ecuador's Atuesta. full team. Atuesta. Like, these are good players. Shoot, man. Even even Tristan Blackman starting to get looks with the U.S. You know? Eddie Segura, one of, in my opinion, one of the more underrated defenders in the league. Mark Anthony K. Mark Anthony. Like, we've named their entire starting lineup now. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, shoot. Carlos Vela was supposed to be on loan to FC Barcelona. Remember that? Listen, I, I think that we have to acknowledge something here, which is, I would I would have put money down at the beginning of this window that one of Rossi, Atuesta, or Rodriguez would be sold by the end of the window. Really? I, yeah. I, Why? I, because there was so the market, much interest. The market's so down. There was so much interest. It was it's down for some levels of players. I don't think it was down for the people that were into buying Rossi because his price was so huge. Those teams are going to be able to buy at those prices no matter what. Just like MLS uh, owners could all like like half it's not of like MLS he's going owners for forty go, million man. There like, are twenty million. He's a twenty million dollar player. There's not that many clubs that can uh, spend twenty million dollars. Like, I, like you know. And let's be realistic, man. The Colorado Rapids could go buy a twenty million dollar player tomorrow if they wanted to, and and the owner wouldn't blink at losing that at not losing at investing that money. I mean. No. His, his wallet wouldn't blink, you know? His bank account <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't feel notice. His know? bank account wouldn't feel it, yeah. But I just don't... I, I do think the market was definitely impacted for Atuesta. Definitely, you aren't going to see people taking big yeah, but risks the, on a guy but like the market, Rodriguez. Like, that wasn't a new thing when the window opened on January 1st. Man, the market hasn't slowed down that much, really. Like, among, like, the teams in, in England, I mean, I guess... You know, you're looking at a player like Atuesta and you think, where does he end up? It's more likely to be something like Spain or Germany more than it's a, a Premier League team. But yeah, that's what I think in a work permit, by the way. So. I, I just I just feel like I would have I would have put money down that one of those three was sold. And now I would say there's no chance, not no chance, but I would not put my money on one of those three being sold. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think LAFC has, has shown, like, they've had interest, they've had offers, they've shown that they're not going to move any of those guys for nothing but a King's Ransom. And that ain't coming in a winter window, in a winter COVID window, in my opinion. Yeah, so, I, I mean, don't know. I don't think it's all that surprising. It will happen soon, because they do want proof of concept, right? Well, it has to happen soon. Right. And like the interesting thing is going to be how much are they going to get? Right. And have they waited too long? Right. Because Rossi is, you know, he's not old. What is he, 23? But he's starting to get to the point where, all right, if you get to 24, 25, you become less attractive and less expensive. Right. So Rossi's got to be kind of soon. But they also, they, they are. You know, I, this is a story I, I intend on writing in this off season, but they are the their model is buy young and sell, develop and sell. And they haven't they haven't sold those players. They yet. haven't sold anyone yet. So, well, they well, sold somebody. They, they sold somebody back, but not the way that they want it. Intend. Well, they sold they sold Omar Gaber. You remember him? They sold uh, they sold Laurent Simon to Dijon. 
not not the that? intention of this of this model. Oui, oui. So the point being that <laughs> they need to sell in order to be able to to continue to talk about and and put into practice yeah. the model that they care about, which is to develop yeah. and and sell and develop it's and sell. Their fourth mean season, just homegrown players, right? It will be homegrown players for them. They intend for it to be homegrown players, but they also mean some of these young internationals that they've signed. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, Paul, we forgot to take a break this episode, and now we're way too into it to actually take one. So let's just keep this train rolling, okay? Uh, we don't have a lot left to go. We've mentioned this trade a few times, though, so let's just talk about it for a second. Tim Parker to Houston. This was kind of a weird one, in my opinion, uh, just for the amount that went back. I think it was $450,000 in allocation money that could rise all the way to $1 million. I don't. I've never seen a trade with that kind of escalator. That's crazy. Like, Dom Dwyer's escalator was big. I think it was $1 million to $1.6, so you're talking about the same absolute number, right? 600000 But the percentage... Crazy. I don't, I want to find out what those escalators are. Let, because let's, that's hope, re, like, let's hope for Houston's sake that those escalators aren't as are easily MLS reached Cup, as MVP, Orlando City's. Best 11. Yeah, Orlando City's were like, he plays in two games. It was right? like, yeah, so. it was play. It was like a, one escalator was plays in one game. One escalator was scores his first goal. It was like all very easy to achieve. Yeah, I, I would imagine that Houston was smart enough to put in some pretty high you know, hard to achieve escalators. 450,000 for Tim Parker. I mean, if you look at the market, man, like Moderita, Moderita went for 600. Moderita is a very talented Costa Rican defender. Uh, Here we go. Listen, listen to this biased reporter. Unbelievable. I'm just pointing out this guy. Just pointing out. Listen, like and Tim Parker went for less money. Right. So, and, and by the way, Tim Parker plays, you know, a more valuable position. Look, I think that it was considering the market and where the money has, the way the money has moved in this window even. Um, yeah, fair price. Above that, you get, if you get close to a million dollars, you're in trouble. You, you, well, you're you in trouble. I'm, I mean, you say you're in trouble, but, you know, if the escalators are he's best 11 or defender of the year and you win MLS Cup... Well, then a million dollars is worth it, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> then, then you will happily if send that one money appearance to the or seven appearances, or yes. you know, you know, has beautiful long ginger hair held oh, back like, by, by a, the way, by, by the way, tie, I, like I made Sam's. a joke about this on Twitter <laughs> the other day. Um, Tim Parker's orange hair in those orange jerseys and his pale complexion in that Houston heat and sun, like that's there is no price too high to see that in action. Um, so that'll be, that'll be interesting. Probably not going to do wonders for his complexion. Load up on the sunscreen, Tim, if you're listening. Uh, actually load up on the sunscreen, everyone. (laughs) That's, that's my advice. And you know what? I think that's a good place to end this show. Load up on the sunscreen. This has been Allocation Disorder presented by Miami Fingalickin. (laughs) Thank you for listening. (laughs) 